Hello, hello, and welcome to Talking All Things Cardiopalm. I am your host, Dr. Rachel Barisi. Before we jump into today's episode, let's give a shout out to our sponsor, Jane, a clinic management software and EMR. Whether you're just starting to do your research or you've been contemplating switching your software for a while now, the Jane team understands that the process can feel intimidating. That's why their goal is to provide you with all the onboarding resources you need to make the switch as smooth as possible. Jane offers a personalized call to set up your account, a free data import, and a variety of online resources to get you up and running quickly. And if you need a helping hand along the way, you'll have access to unlimited phone, email, and chat support included in your Jane subscription. If you're interested in learning more, book a one-on-one demo at jane.app backslash switch. And if you decide to make the switch, don't forget to use the code CARDIOPALM1MO at the time of sign up to receive a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Thanks again, Jane. All right. Well, welcome back. Uh, we are getting back into the swing of things post-CSM. Uh, definitely have a post-CSM hangover in the sense of a lot of people, a lot of learning, a lot of activity in a very short period of time. Um If you were not at CSM or don't know where CSM was located, it was in Boston this year. I'm sure your your social media feeds have been uh, uh, inundated with people who who came from Boston. It's just amazing how many people are at this event. It's like the big national conference, but it's like it feels more than that. Um, So I heard 14,000 people in total, and then I saw someone posted 16,000 people. Either way, that's a lot of peoples in a small uh, space. What's interesting is it doesn't feel that way, except when you're in the exhibit hall. It doesn't feel so overwhelming with people. I think they do a good job spreading it out. Um, But Boston is definitely winter (laughs) in February. So uh, I'm all about that uh, warm weather location, APTA. Just keep them coming in the warm warm locations. Um, But we lucked out. We totally lucked out. So the day we flew in, we flew in on Tuesday. And uh, weather was supposed to be good. And then right before leaving, the weather had switched. And they were calling for a nor'eastern. And, uh, I think they were expecting 12 to 16 inches at one point. And we were like, oh man, our flight had already got changed like a while back. We always do morning flights. It's kind of our thing. Um, if you fly often, I fly back home quite a bit and there's weather you tend to get out if it's in the morning. So, um, it's just habit of mine when people start getting delayed, those late flights just kind of get really take the brunt of it. So always plan for that morning flight out. Plus you can maximize your day. And I think it was like a week after we booked, our flight was changed from like 7am to 2pm. And we were just like, uh, but whatever, what are you going to do? Um, so right up until leaving was like, are we going to make it out? We made it out. Um, Nikki was joking that my beach druid was, was warding off the snow and it was actually quite funny. If you looked on, uh, the weather map, there was like a green bubble just around the, like the main Boston area and everything else was blue. So we were just joking that, uh, the beach druid held off the snow so we could get in. Um, and so, you know, had to go thank her when I came, when we finally hit the ocean, uh, thanked her for holding, holding off the storm. Uh, but we looked out for the most part, it was cold, but not too, 
not too bad. Uh, probably low 30s, 20s at night. Um, had a little bit of snow, lots of wind. The wind was quite aggressive for pretty much the whole week, um, but tolerable nonetheless. It could it could have been a ton worse. Um, I'm so thankful the weather held up because I. What would you do at that point? Like as a as a conference, right? Like sixteen thousand people are coming, and there's a nor'easter in that area. Like, what does that look like? So. Glad we didn't have to broach that whole problem. It worked out just fine. Um, but this was like a really fun CSM in general. I always feel um, really invigorated, really energized post-CSM, and, and that still holds true. Um, but I think as Nikki and I have moved across the country, it, it's so much harder to, you know, get to your people throughout the year. So CSM really becomes this like gigantic reunion. Um, so now we have multiple people in New York. We have our NYU school people. We have our NYIT people. We have our NYU HJD people. Um, and then we have Michigan. We have U of M and VA. And we have um, people in Kansas and Missouri and faculty in the hospital. It's just just really interesting to kind of like mix everything. Um, so we tried to like, you know, have dinner on certain nights with certain people, but it ended up just being a mix of everybody, which honestly was um, the best thing because it was really hard to navigate time slots with classes and meetings and all that kind of stuff. Um, what What was really fun was just, watching the groups mix and watching it work. Um, so that was really fun and really so grateful to have been able to spend a ton of time with, you know, a number of different people. Um, and also just like didn't have enough time to, to meet with others. And so if we didn't get to hang out, truly my apologies, hopefully we'll be able to do it in another point and another time. Um, but it was really, it was really a fun, just a fun gathering. Um, I really feel like it was just a reunion and you never know who you're going to walk into or who you're going to run into, whether it's people in your hometown, like faculty that you were recently working with and you just happen to cross paths around 16,000 people, which is, I think, crazy or former students, right? Um this is the first time I have gone to CSM after creating all things cardio palm. Um, so it was fun to, you know, have people reach out and say, Hey, I listened to your podcast. Hey, I follow you on Instagram. It's still something that I am not used to. Um, but just like really fun. And so if you reached out and like stopped me, thank you so much. Um, I think I was more excited <laughs> than the people who were stopping me. Um, Cause you know, you just, you never know how many people listen and you know, if people will actually reach out and also there's 16,000 people there. So um, you know, the chances that we run into each other are, are slim. So we, I still didn't meet a whole bunch of my Instagram people who I was hoping to catch up with um, and like, you know, give a hug in person but there will always be next time. So uh, CSM was fun. CSM was exciting. I think it really just 
kind of puts a little energy in your in your step. Um, it's nice to be surrounded with like-minded people. And um, just like, I don't know, it just, it's, it's always fun to have that, you know, yes, that yes moment, like, yes. <laughs> um, and I guess what I mean in that world is like, you know, if you're in the acute care section, that it's not just about productivity, it's about skill. And I think being surrounded by people who are really interested in providing skill and assessing the whole person um, just reignites that what you're doing is wonderful and keep doing it because it, you know, it doesn't always change overnight. Um, so lots of great sessions. A lot of sessions I wasn't able to make it to for two reasons. One, they were overlapped with other courses. So I'm hoping to catch a few on demand and also teaching, right? Like if you are actively, uh, if you're a presenter, there's like some stuff that has to get done. Um, and you might want to like run through your presentation, presentation one more time. I do have to say presenting on Saturday was hard. Um, just because you have like three days of, increasing your anxiety <laughs> towards that presentation or you know you see something that other people are doing you're like oh we should have done that and you might have the urge to change everything last minute and you have to sort of suppress that urge um and do you right so um we got lucky that we were the 11 o'clock slot i think the three o'clock slot on saturday would be a, just a really hard time slot so thank you to everyone who came out. We had a full room um, and really attentive and engaging. And I could not have been more pleased with the turnout. So thank you. Thank you for anyone who came and supported, who, you know, who participated in our activity, who uh, asked a question or gave commentary. Truly, truly, truly appreciate, um, appreciate that. I think anyone who teaches or presents can only hope for that. So thank you. You're a wonderful audience. Uh, and just so grateful all around. So really appreciate anyone who came out. All right. What are we talking about today? I was going to do a uh, lung transplant recap because Alicia and I presented on lung transplant, but I think I'm going to wait for Alicia to do that. Um, and maybe we'll do like a little synopsis recap of our presentation since it won't be on demand. Um, so what I think I want to talk about today is grip strength. Sorry, my click got held there. Um, and honestly, I just want to say don't sleep on grip strength. I feel like when you hear hand grip strength, you have an immediate feeling. Um, so if you're a PT, I want you to just, you know, think about what's the first thought that you have when you hear grip strength. First thought I think of um, is hand grip strength, frailty, hand grip strength, mortality, morbidity. And then like, that's all I got. I couldn't give you an exact number, but that's like my, you say hand grip strength and I'm like research, mortality, morbidity, morbidity, like high correlation, um, period, frailty. <laughs> and so while we were running through lung transplant, Frailty is a big piece of the picture and um, lots of question about, you know, 
does frailty indicate poorer response? Is frailty associated with more significant disease? And so read a lot of cool stuff on frailty and um, had an initial feeling of like, of course, disease progression, worsening, uh, severity of the disease indicates frailty. But what's really interesting in the frailty world is that there are indicators that basically say that this person will fare worse than this person, not just based on the significance of uh, the disease process itself, which is really interesting. So my my initial gut was like, of course, it's it, it's the disease. And then as as we always do, uh, Alicia and I were just like chit chatting about this and we were talking, we were discussing and talking. She's like, yeah, but don't you think that there are some people who could have the same exact PFTs, the same exact diagnosis, same age. Like if you have a, a perfect parallel to two humans as you can, one might do worse than the other, or one seems more frail than the other. And so there are some factors that really play a role in that. And so it was an interesting conversation. Maybe we'll have to do a little bit more on frailty. But from a hand grip perspective, uh, as I was reviewing the literature, there's a ton of information on hand grip. And basically anytime grip strength is included in the research, you're going to see a correlation. So low grip strength is indicative of morbidity, mortality, length of stay, um, worsening disease. What else I got here? Limited physical function, like low grip strength. And when we look at the literature, low grip strength is typically categorized as less than 26 kilograms per, for males and less than 18 kilograms for females. But what you start to see as you're looking across the literature is that there is more correlation to grip strength than just mortality, morbidity. Not that it's, I'm saying just, but that there's high correlation. And so first of all, just blanket statement. If you are in the world of research, if you're doing a research project on a specific diagnosis, on a specific intervention, hand grip strength is probably worth looking at for that population and may give you good information across the board. So just putting a plug out for grip strength. Uh, another piece that I want to put out is the actual device. So the gold standard device for grip strength is the Jamar grip strength. I think everyone has seen it. It's like silver. It's, it's pretty hefty, has two like pointy um, ends on it. And it has like a like almost like a scale dial. So as you squeeze it, the dial moves and then you hold that. Um, but they're pretty pricey. I think they're between, I think they're around $400 if I remember correctly, like $375. So if it's done in your budget to purchase that, um, people might steer away from it. So I was doing a little bit of digging on some digital devices and I had a friend um, who's in the outpatient world in California, who I saw posting about it a while back. And so I reached out and said, you know, which one do you use? And she really wasn't sure if like um, the, the calibration of it and how um, precise it was. So I did a little bit of digging and I found that they did a research article comparing the Jamar to the Camry digital hand grip uh, dynamometer and had pretty good 
results side by side. Um, I think the dominant hand was more accurate than the non-dominant hand, but in the end, um, there's some literature to support the digital hand dynamometer. And the best part about it is it's really inexpensive. So I think it was like 50 bucks on Amazon. Anyway, I now have a dynamometer because of the literature that I'm reading. It's like, why not include this in an eval? So in my mobile PT practice, this could be another opportunity to collect data and just have some information on the person in front of me. Um, so I plan on adding this to my repertoire or my eval form when I'm treating patients in person. And so I think this kind of is a, another blanket statement across the aisle is if you're learning something new, don't be afraid to implement it. Um, hand grip strength isn't something that I utilized before, but it's something that has high correlation across the board and could be a really great predictor of wellness or morbidity or mortality. So why not have baseline data and, and even give that information to your clients or patients? So hand grip strength, uh, like, you know, don't sleep on it. Correlates to so many things. So gait speed, six minute walk distance, muscle mass, malnutrition, frailty. So essentially, if you have low grip strength, you likely are going to have low gait speed, low uh, six minute walk distance, decreased muscle mass, likely malnourished, and is a high correlation to frailty. Um, what I had not seen in the literature before, maybe because I wasn't looking for it specifically, or just hadn't noticed it, was the correlation to respiratory muscle strength and PFTs and MIP and MEP. Now, I think that's really cool, right? Because MIP and MEP um, usually requires a relatively expensive um, machine as well. And, you know, not everyone has the ability to spend $1,000 on a, a device that can record MIP and MEP. But if hand grip strength correlates to MIP and MEP, like, you know, that's a pretty cool piece of information to see across the board that if you have decreased grip strength, you likely have decreased muscle uh, respiratory muscle strength. So just really interesting uh, across the board. I'm going to do a little bit more digging. I'm by far not an expert on grip strength. Um, but in the world of MIP and MEP, it actually correlated better to MIP, maximal inspiratory pressure versus MEP. I don't know why. Um, but one way that you can utilize this device is that you, a, you have an, an assessment, right? You have this base assessment of hand grip strength, and then you can see change over time. Either way. So as you start incorporating strengthening activities, aerobic activities, breathing exercises, you should see hand grip strength increase, which could be, again, a nice little correlation to show. Um, or it could, in theory, predict decline. So if you don't have access to MIP or a MEP device and you have a base grip strength and you're seeing this person over time, right, because maybe this is someone you've reavowed multiple times, maybe someone who's in your care for a long period of time, um, and that grip strength is declining, that might be information to report back to your physician because this could be indicative of overall decline. 
physical function, muscle mass, respiratory strength, six minute walk distance, all the things. So maybe we can use it in either direction. Either way, a little plug here, if you are doing research and you have a specific population, it might not be a bad idea to peek around to what hand grip strength has to show in that outcome measure, intervention, population, whatever it is, because likely there's some sort of correlation and it might be able to strengthen your overall study or results or maybe clinical practice. So like I said, I am not an expert on grip strength, but I am now very much intrigued. I will be incorporating it into my overall eval form. Um, if I start to do some like wellness evals, this will absolutely be one of my parameters that I'm including, hands down. I think it's good information for the person to see over time and correlate that to age match results. Um, personally, I have really crappy grip strength. I always have. Um, and has been a goal of mine to continue to increase my grip strength. So now I have some baseline numbers and I'm going to pay attention to it when I start increasing uh, strength training again to see where my grip strength is in comparison to that. So we'll, we'll have a little uh, N, N1 uh, to follow along and see what that looks like. And I have MIP and MEP. So I'm curious to see what that will trend over time. Um, you know, it's just one case. It's biased. It's me. But at least it's information that I can then translate to you. All right. This is a short one today. I hope this was helpful. If you do utilize grip strength, uh, please let me know. Let me know how you use it. Let me know if you have any great studies. Um, I'm always looking for that information to kind of like synthesize and, and bridge that gap. Um, but I was very much interested in this when I started diving in. And I'm just always... Uh, super surprised when, you know, grip strength strikes its little head in there again. So um, if you don't have a Jamar dynamometer, look up the Camry. It is on Amazon. Uh, I'll drop a link in the show notes as well. And I think that's all I got for you today. I hope you all have a wonderful day. If you have any questions, please reach out to me on the Instagrams or shoot me a text. The number will be in the show notes. Uh, thank you. Thank you for everyone who said hello at CSM, any new faces uh, that are now following. Uh, I truly appreciate you. And I'm very grateful that you're here. I hope you all have a wonderful day and whatever you have to do, uh, get after it. <laughs>